0: Good morning and uh, welcome to the inaugural broadcast of Radio Free Shambhala. My name is Edward Mahalik, I'll be your host for this interview and other interviews. I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself before we continue. I am a practicing Roman Catholic, a Eucharistic minister at St. Agnes Parish here in Halifax on Mumford Road. I'm also a Werma practitioner in the Shambhala tradition, so I'm a Shambhalian and a Christian, which makes me something of an anomaly. Uh, today, I'll be speaking with Mark Spakowski, uh, who's a longtime practitioner and uh, a friend of mine and a, and a true Shambhalian. So, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Mark now and ask him something about his background so that he can share a bit of his life story with you.
1: Thanks, Ed. So, my name is Mark Spakowski. Uh, we're both Polish, by the way. <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've been a student of Trungpa Rinpoche since 1972. Um, our relationship actually started there and uh, spent some time at uh, Karmachuling, now sometimes also called Tale of the Tiger, originally called Tale of the Tiger, and moved up here to Halifax in 1979, and uh, I've been here pretty much since. Um, in Berkeley in 1972, uh, there wasn't a Dharma Datu at that time, um, so we used to go over to San Francisco Dharma Datu, but after a seminar on Naropa at the Hall of Flowers in Golden Gate Park, uh, was suggested we start up a center in Berkeley, so, uh, we did that, Jerry Benelli, Arthur Borden, some other people, and myself, Cicely Berglund, um, and I was involved with uh, that on a kind of administrative level. I was the treasurer of that. Um, I was involved with doing a lot of recordings of talks by and Rinpoche and uh, acted as a teacher and meditation instructor. The recordings is interesting because uh, there was always a very clear insistence by. Trungpa Rinpoche, that we were recording not just for the immediate situation, but for generations to come. And so, for example, he was very careful that the audience was miked properly, so that when there are questions and discussions, that those would be, become part of the recording. Um, so I think there's some sense there of uh, kind of forward vision. In 1976, uh, I moved to Chuling and stayed there for three years and, again, uh, acted there as controller. This was during the latter part of the first building phase at Karmachuling and uh, included visits by Kensei Rinpoche and the 16th Karmapa. And uh, I also kept on teaching, um, acting as a meditation instructor, visiting people in retreat, and so on. And then in 1979, I moved up to Halifax, essentially at request of Trungpa Rinpoche. And uh, so this was the seed of the Sangha here in Halifax, and also the uh, first steps in establishing... um, Shambhala activity here in Nova Scotia so I was part of uh, what's called the Standing Committee which was a group uh, he formed to act as a in a sense an interim government and as preparing the ground for moving um, people here and actually not just moving but maybe dragging them uh, kicking and (laughs) screaming Um, and so uh, there was that aspect and and um, so in, in a sense, I'm speaking both uh, personally and with some, a little bit of sense of uh, um, official role as a so-called vajradhatu officer and with some sense of responsibility in terms of um, sharing and continuing to share uh, the vision of uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, both in terms of its uh, Buddhist aspect, because I am a Buddhist practitioner, um, and uh, and also in terms of its Shambhala aspect and the vision of uh, creating an enlightened society. Um, and that kind of connection um, was actually very much there from the start, and I think in a way that's probably familiar to many people, in the sense that when I first uh, had met Trinker Reverend in person, and then my initial connection was actually through a book, through reading Meditation in Action, which was a direct hit, with the sense being that um, what I am reading here is speaking directly to the truth, and is very simple and very clear, and and that was it was essentially a confirmation of that when I uh, eventually met. Uh, Chugam Trungpa at Rocky Mountain Dharma Center in the summer of 1972, and at that point there, the the journey of no distance was completed in an instant, uh, which re, which I think is familiar to many people, and really means that uh, there was a sense of uh, both uh, being at home and of uh, instantly sharing the vision, which basically meant that the Uh, and still means that the response is, what can I do to help? And how can we go forward? And so from that point of view, connection is not so much looking at Chögyam Trungpa or at what Shambhala is, but looking from that. And so sharing his vision and looking outward. And even being in Nova Scotia is not so much looking at Nova Scotia, or looking at Halifax as the kind of seat of shambhala but it actually in a way is literally a seat so my bottom is on <laughs> this zafu or this gonden yeah. but my outlook is outward and and that's what the what radio free shambhala is all about is how to beam outward
0: now, that's interesting because we're sitting here in your kitchen on a beautiful Wednesday morning on a coolish day in May, and I'm wondering, you know, you've been broadcasting and concerned with the recording and the broadcasting of Shambhala Vision since the early 70s. So, how do we get from recordings in Berkeley to recordings in Halifax at the, in the new millennium? What does Radio Free Shambhala mean to you, and why are you here this morning?
1: Well, I think, yes, so that's the question of what is Radio Free Shambhala all about. Mm-hmm. And, um, it has a bit of history and context, and I guess there's two sides to that. One is the kind of inside the Shambhala Mandala history. So briefly, I I think what that means is that over the last 15 years, there's been a, a lot of developments in terms of the Shambhala Mandala and in terms of Shambhala International, and in terms of the teachings uh, both of Buddha Dharma and of Shambhala, um, as presented by Sakyong Mipam Rinpoche. And at the same time, I think there's been a growing feeling among many people who would in some sense still identify themselves as part of the greater Shambhala Mandala, that Things have moved and the vision that inspired them still remains to be realized and is not really being followed as directly as it could be. So I think there's a a large proportion of people who would call themselves Shambhalians in some sense or other who don't feel completely inspired by the direction in which Shambhala International is currently going and I've sometimes characterized that population as being the dark matter of the Sangha. It's it's quite, I think it's quite large and it's not very visible, that's why we call it dark matter and people have all gone on individual journeys in terms of relating with their experience and their perception and their relationship with the Shambhala International um, administrative mandala, you could say. I think that journey has started out as somewhat of a private journey in many people's minds. And I think over the last few years, it's it started. people have started realizing that this is not simply a private rumination that they're having or a private concern, but that others are also having it. And so I think the shoots are starting to come out of the seeds, so to speak, and I think there's a there's a need for forms of expression, and you know there's, there's a, l- a lot of issues around that. Some of that has to do with fear. When you speak out, you make yourself visible, and uh, um, you know potentially make yourself a target, or you don't want to rock the boat. And so there's a lot of issues around that. And I think one thing we want to do is simply provide a a forum, a town square, an open space where people feel more comfortable about that.
0: Now it's interesting because I remember in the dead of winter coming to you with this idea at a coffee shop about creating this thing called Radio Free Shambhala and I thought it was spiky and at a certain point you came back to me and what was an intuition, Radio Free Shambhala, you explained the logic so, if you could break that down, radio free Shambhala for the listeners.
1: I mean, the basic idea of uh, radio is that, uh, that that speech aspect. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so that uh, we want to create vehicles for speech. The free aspect is that people feel free to speak, and the and that there are media available, and. Uh, I think there are some uh, kind of issues around that and then the, uh, and Shambhala uh, is also interesting because the idea there is that, uh, well, the slogan or motto of the site is think bigger. So Shambhala vision is how to create a bigger space uh, which is not especially owned by oneself but is open to other people, and even more than that, is discovered in other people. So, uh, it's not that we have this great thing and we're laying it on you or offering it to you, but uh, there's something very important happening in the world, and there is a basic nature of goodness and openness that everybody does have, and that's not just an individual issue, but a societal issue, And we're about exploring that space, and about providing voices for that. So, part of it, again, it's a little bit introspective in the sense that, yes, some of us have history, some of us come from this particular organization, mandala, particular teacher, or teachers, and at the same time, what it's about isn't really about ourselves, but about uh, meeting the world, And and I very much think that that's what uh, Trump or Shambhala Shambala vision was about, you know, he, in some sense, shared, the history that some of us do. Uh, some of us are refugees. I myself am, the son of people who were refugees from Poland after the Second World War, and I moved from Belgium to Canada, and, uh, and in a sense, I still feel like a refugee because uh, now I'm a, refugee from an organization, the Shambhala organization, and at the same time I feel that uh, that that's just one of the incidental aspects of this greater journey. And Trungpa Rinpoche had a similar journey in terms of uh, essentially being ejected from Tibet through the karma of the Tibetan-Chinese relationships, going to India, England, and North America, and then uh, being able to present this vision of Shambhala in a very uh, tangible way, in a a way that met the hearts of people here, so that there was this immediate, uh, and still is this immediate connection, saying, oh yes, this is what we need to do. So that's what Reader Free Shambhala is about, in general at least.
0: Right, and uh, I know my concern over the last few years is that the venues for speech and the opportunities to say what you see and iterate what you feel have, have diminished. One thing that you and I have spoken a lot about is that we want to uplift the discourse and yet that there still could be this place where people of divergent opinions and views could come together. So that my concern was is that there was really no feedback loop and I think what we're trying to do here is uh, to create one uh, how would you Consider that?
1: I think uh, there are some forms for discussion, for example, in terms of uh, the shambhala.org mailing lists. We have Sangha talk, um, we have Sangha announce, but that's not really for discussions. And uh, there are the Shambhala congresses, uh, which are consultative uh, but aren't really hooked into power except in a kind of very loose advisory way and uh, so this dark matter needs voice and at the same time uh, how that voice uh, manifests is very important Um, and I think we need to so part of I think the ethos of Radio Free Shambhala is that there's some sense of bravery so that we're not afraid to meet issues we're not afraid to meet the edge the sharp points and at the same time, there's, a, you know, I would say some sense of gallantry so that uh, this is happening in an invigorated way and also with some sense of humor mm-hmm. and uh, so that uh, we are able to both laugh at ourselves and, uh, and see the kind of transparency
0: of what we are doing. You know, that brings to mind a funny, uh, a funny thought or a serious thought as well. And of course, for me, there's the great Kassung couplet, "Fearless beyond idiot compassion," which is then followed up by "Be a warrior without anger." So that there's a precision, but there's a gentleness and a lack of aggression. And I think that's what we're trying to do here: is thread that needle so that so that there's not a one sidedness to the discourse. Is is that how you see it?
1: Yes, I think that's that's absolutely essential and. Uh, sometimes there's a tendency to not want to rock the boat or to just stay silent or to just go along. And that's in in many ways, that's kind of the default or easiest position. And it's easy to kind of just drift into that. So it takes a little bit of awakening and of bravery to both look at what's happening and acknowledge it and then further to be able to express it. And and I think there's a whole process in that And and actually, that's kind of a a process on multiple layers because it's not just a process with yourself, but how do you work in dialogue with others? So it's also a group process. And then beyond that, there's the issue of when you communicate. As Ed said, there is that slogan, be a warrior without anger, Mm -hmm. which is an incredible challenge. It's very... You have to be able to communicate in a way that communicates. And it's easy to express... And kind of press buttons um, or to get emotional and then that tends to cut off the communication and right. in a way the the less anger or stuff that you extra stuff that you bring to it actually the sharper and the more penetrating the communication can be and the less painful it's like if you have a very sharp Knife you can cut with no rough edges, right. and I think you know from a Buddhist point of view, you could say ultimately what cuts is the actual nature of things, and it's it's completely painless because it's its own nature that cuts itself um, so that so that I think that's that's a kind of attitude mm-hmm. of mind and and also a sense of humor and uh it's uh well i, I think that's kind of would, it's kind of a guideline for how we'd like. Radio Free Shambhala and all the different things that can happen on this website yes. and through these kind of programs, how that can happen.
0: Absolutely. You know, I'm given to think about the lion's roar, which, generally speaking, is probably done quite quietly. Uh, the lion's roar needn't be screamed. The other thought I had, certainly a, a long time ago, especially after my disappointments with the Congress system, was that, you know, what His Majesty requires is a loyal opposition not in the sense of uh, carping or, or complaining, but truly people who are willing to advise, who have an obligation and a sense of devotion to the truth, wherever that leads them. So that I thought that what might be required uh, was a parliamentary uh, style in the, in the vein of Gladstone and Disraeli, or, or, or that there could be the great debates of Trudeau and Levesque or something like uh, the Lincoln-Douglas debates that are uplifted, that whatever Radio Free Shambhala is, it's not going to be Rush Limbaugh or Talk Radio, correct? Hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I wanted to talk to you and ask you about was this question of what I, I see, and I think we've spoken about this, this is a sort of a simmering environment of fear and how the notions of of loyalty and Samaya get confused in that that atmosphere. And if you could clarify that for our audience, that would be great, Mark.
1: Okay, maybe we can talk just very briefly about that. I mean, you run into that, I mean, I've certainly run into it in the sense that, for example, I've posted messages on some of the mailing lists, and we've had discussions there, And very often what happens is I get private email back saying, oh, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I couldn't possibly say that myself.
0: Yes, I've had that too, yeah.
1: And people have, you know, I think sometimes there are various reasons for that. Um, Some people have positions where, you know, which might be threatened by that, or they're in a, say, in a family situation where there's, uh, you know, maybe their children or their spouses, you know, take one point of view and they take another and... I think part of that is kind of a legitimate um, softness and care, but I think another part is really a sense, There, there is some fear, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, in our tradition, a lot of what warriorship is about is about dealing with fear. Mm. So I think this is what, this, this is an open issue and question, and, and at the very least, we can expose it. The Vidyatara, in his will, said that he was asked, uh, yes, go ahead. What, if, uh, you know, what if there's some problems with uh, the next Sakyam? And basically, he said, Advise. So the question is, Well, what does that mean to advise? I think, one, it, it means that you, you speak the truth, you give good advice. Um, and you try to do it in a way that will communicate. I think both those parts are important. you don 't want to just set up a kind of adversarial situation. So I think that 's one aspect of it, and you know which brings up the question of loyalty, and again, you advise because you do feel loyalty at the same time, loyalty, I think in many cases can um, trump um, truth. Or th- there's at least that possibility because you feel loyal and so you go along and if something bothers you, you well you, at some point sometimes you have to make either a conscious or unconscious decision as uh, it, this doesn't feel right, and am I not getting it um, or is he not getting it right?
0: Now, you know, it's interesting in the Catholic tradition, and, and you're you're quite well studied in that, there's um, the notion from Aquinas of faith-seeking understanding. So there's that sense of doubt, of intelligence, of always probing further. Certainly, uh, Trumpa Rinpoche would always stress that it was always good to doubt and that we should never surrender our intelligence. And I think uh, it, through fear, perhaps, or through some sense of loyalty, or guilt, or whatever, I think people surrender their intelligence, or swallow it, or just walk away. Is that your perception?
1: Yeah, I think that's a tendency to happen. Maybe because there's a lot of, uh, you you'd kind of tend to go along, and so, sometimes you just have to wake up. And again, this is the, this is maybe what, uh, think bigger means, yeah. is that you've, you've kind of ended up curled into yourself a little bit. And, uh, and I think what wakes you up is really the outside world, you know in Buddhist language, Trungpa Rinpoche used to call that Dharmapalas, and that you know if someone had an accident um it's not that you know, and if you walked away alive from the accident it, um, <laughs> it's not that the Dharmapala saved you by having you walk al- out alive it's that the Dharmapala saved you by by provoking the accident, which is a very interesting kind of point you, yeah. um, but the ultimate uh seems to be to Uh, Wake up, and to care. So uh, that's kind of one guideline.
0: One concern I think that we both share. The phrase I use is the churchification of 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 the Shambhala teachings. The narrowing of it, and the innovations over the last oh decade. I think of uh, the sort of the proclamation of Shambhala Buddhism in two thousand. And certainly for me, in 2005, uh, the revocation of Wermasadhana for non-tantrikas signaled a great narrowing or uh, a churchifying of the Shambhala teachings, uh, which, you know, needless to say, I, I, I found troubling, and I think others have found troubling as well. Uh, would you like to speak to that?
1: Yes, I, I think, um, in, again, in terms of uh, people who identify themselves as part of the Shambhala Sangha, I say there's really two, maybe there's two aspects or two populations, some of which, you know, some people hold both. One is, you could say there's um, issues with the Buddhist aspect. Mm -hmm. um, So that the way of transmitting Buddha Dharma, that Trungpa Rinpoche brought, um, is disappearing. It's no longer, at least in terms of the uh, administrative model, it's really not being followed. And, and I think the essence of that is what Trungpa Rinpoche called Buddha Dharma without credentials. And that, that's a whole topic in itself. But uh, so I, th- I think there's, there's definitely a population of people who would like to carry on that style of teaching and that style of practice And in some ways, it's interesting that the style of practice is both uh, innovative. It wasn't. uh, It was basically Buddha Dharma in its most pure form, so that it it's essentially transparent and free of cultural trappings. Which means that then it could land in North American or European or South American soil, or even Asian soil, and and. Flourish and grow, making use of whatever the culture in that soil allowed. Um, so it it wasn't inherently Tibetan Buddhist, even though, of course, uh, uh, in terms of transperimptay's heritage and in terms of you know the teachings, there's it certainly goes through Tibet and back into India and so on. So uh, one has to acknowledge that. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like being in Nova Scotia, where it, it's not really about being in Nova Scotia f- primarily. It's it's about the whole world, uh, but being here is very important. So anyway, that's kind of the Buddhist aspect. And then the Shambhala aspect is that uh, in Trungpa Rinpoche's vision of Shambhala, it's a society and even a kingdom or a state which is fundamentally secular, it's not a religion per se, um, but the interesting challenge of it, which is what I think the challenge of the 21st century world is, is how to combine the secular and the sacred in a way that goes beyond what, for example, the great work done by the founding fathers of the United States were able to accomplish in terms of separating church and state. So I think we need a more uh, close Union of secular and sacred while at the same time not turning the state into a one specific religion or one specific theocracy and in a way what's happened with uh, Shambhala Buddhism is from that point of view. It's a little bit of a detour in the sense that uh, a Shambhala Buddhist Church has been created and it has taken on various uh, Shambhala characteristics borrowed from Shambhala vision, but there still remains that larger vision of a Shambhala society, which is aiming to be a more enlightened society, and to be able to find that root of enlightenment in people, no matter what their religious practices
0: are. Right. No, it's it's interesting because you know I remember back in 1988 when I first read the Sacred Path of the Warrior. My first thought, immediately I was thunderstruck, was that this would be a fabulous way of manifesting the kingdom of heaven as I understood Jesus, the charismatic Jewish religious virtuoso. And beyond that, even as a Christian who has a great devotion and fidelity to uh, the Buddhist practices as well, I always thought of the Shambhala path as being somewhat different. It was never difficult for me to differentiate the one from the other or to, to weave them together because I always looked upon the Shambhala path as a chivalric path, as a way of living nakedly in the world, of service, of being noble. So um, it, it saddens me that, uh, in my view, that uh, the Shambhala Dharma and the Buddha Dharma have in a way been unnecessarily confused. Do you think there's been a kind of a confusion of the two?
1: Well, I think very definitely. I mean, you know, in Web 2.0 terms, there's been kind of a mashup, which is okay, but it's not the only thing possible. Um, I mean, Shambhala, in terms of Shambhala Buddhism, Shambhala is the adjective, Buddhism is the noun, and so Shambhala is a qualification on Buddhism, and so what... Uh, what I'm interested in is, uh, I think, and I think that's fine. I think for a certain population of people, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is a uh, kind of a larger vision, a bigger vision, which many people will actually acknowledge if you really talk with them about it. You know, I've talked with various people who are acharyas or whatever, and they will say, "Oh yeah, there's a greater Shambhala umbrella." Uh, but we can't quite do that now, right. well, I think the world needs that now, and now being today this year and this and this century, and uh, this very real need um, the you know you you can look upon global warming, for example, that um the relationship to earth, which we describe in terms of the language of Drala, for example, is uh you know needs attention on that level of Drala, and so how do you present that to people, uh, no matter what religion they are? I think there's a way to do that, and I think Trungpa Rinpoche was extremely inspired to do that, and, and I'm extremely ex- inspired to do that, and that's what I, I hope uh, Radio Free Shambhala will be one stepping stone toward being able to express in that way.
0: Yeah. No, no I, I, I think that's well said. Um, one thing... That uh, you and I had an experience with, or you had an experience with, is the the generation gap. We were both, or we are both, on a Facebook group called Shambala Opening the Flower. And uh, at a certain point, you have posted something, which I refer to as your "Twas Not Ever Thus" uh, uh, post. And basically, there is a whole generation of practitioners who don't really know Trimpa Rinpoche who are acolytes of the current Sakyong. And so they may see this exercise as two old conservatives grousing about what was and what is. So how is it that we engage the new generation, the millennials, so to speak? Well, I think the new generation is at least as smart as we are.
1: And uh, I think they, I mean, my own experience, I find that people, I had the experience of, connecting with Trump Rinpoche through a book. It wasn't initially through actually meeting him in the flesh. There are many people here now who obviously cannot meet him in the flesh and have not, will not, but they can have, and they do have, the same kind of connection. And so again, I think this, is, this raises the big question, okay, so you, you connect through the books, and now more and more you can connect through the audio um, and through videos. And through meeting people, and so how do you how do you practice that Buddha Dharma, and how do you practice that Buddha Dharma as a community so I think young people and old people are encountering that and and the question is the same in both cases, so I think that's part of the um, it's, it's, this is not really about generations uh, no it's uh it's it's about uh, uh, keeping it fresh and, and keeping uh, caring about the world, basically. And so I, I think part of what Radio Free Shambhala will be providing, and it's only providing it because, you know, no one else is doing it. <laughs> so that's why there's we're doing big, there's, it. There's
0: a big gap in the market, right? There's a gap. There's a so, niche to
1: be filled. So we want to be able to provide a open space where... Which has its sense of integrity and of decorum, but it's an open space. Mm-hmm. And we're, we can have podcasts, so we can have audio, we can have video, and video is definitely an emerging medium. We can have blogs, so we have a multi-user blog, and people are encouraged to comment. And we have space where people can write longer essays, writings, um, reviews, analyses, where investigative journalism can take place,
0: and where new forms can be experimented with. So here we are, Mark, at the end of our discussion, and I think uh, how I'd like to leave it with our listeners is uh, this way. By training, I'm an academic, I'm a historian, and I'm a, a fierce intellectual libertarian. So uh, in in my mental world, uh, I never look to shut down debates. It's, it doesn't interest me that we solve a question once and forever and that my side wins, that my school wins, and your school loses. Uh, that's that's really not about good, open-minded inquiry. And I, I don't think that's what Radio Free Chamballa is at all. In fact, I think uh, this should be a place, place where the generations meet, where the factions meet, that this truly is a public square where we can begin a genuine dialogue and I hope uh, I hope you could say something more to take us out on that
1: well I think you've you've said it you've said it all that this is uh, um, really we want to uh, surface the questions and the fundamental questions and uh, see what emerges from that and it's, it's very open-ended um, essentially um, we invite the dark matter to Lighten up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, join us, uh, contribute, and uh, we'll continue
0: further. Well, I'd like to thank Mark Spakowski for being the uh, inaugural interviewee on Radio Free Shambhala and for being such a good friend to me. Uh, this is Edward Mahalik signing off with this final thought when you don't know what to do, be kind.